0: morning. Okay, Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but the plague swept through Brevard County and uh, we got a lot of people watching online this morning, but we're going to be okay, aren't we? All right, good. Well, I'm happy you guys are here. Uh, Glad we could make it. Uh, For those of you who are guests, you're in the middle of us going through the book of John. We're teaching through the book of John. We're on John chapter 4. You can feel free to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. You can follow along with the notes. Uh, You can do none of that and just stare at me. Whatever works for you works for me. Amen? But I am excited about uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, John 4, of course, is the story of the woman at the well, which is uh, really frequently taught on and everyone should be familiar with, probably. Yes? So, uh, I'm probably not, uh, well, I I think I'm going to stay very basic on this, but I want to take a little bit different theme. Uh, Anyway, let's jump in. And see, we're going to end up talking a lot about worship, and then we'll go back into worship at the end of the service, and uh, we'll see if Jesus has anything he wants to say or do with you. Amen? Are you up for that? Did you come here kind of hoping that Jesus would come here too, and it wouldn't just be me? Good. That's, that's the kind of church we want. All right. Well, let's jump in. And I'm going to just read through in some a couple small sections and a couple large sections, and uh, let's now we, <coughs> pardon me, set this up in John chapter three. Remember, uh, uh, John the Baptist and his disciples were baptizing along the Jordan, a little bit in the northern part of Judea, and Jesus and his disciples, or really his disciples, were baptizing nearby, and so this picks up where that left off. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. John says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, remember last week we saw how John's disciples were getting a little bent because people were leaving John and going to Jesus, and Jesus had to explain to him that was the plan, right? Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, um, it's about this time that John the Baptist is imprisoned. And so, uh, most commentators speculate that the reason Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee at this time is because it wasn't the right time for him to have a confrontation with the Pharisees. They arrested John, and he was going to go preach in Galilee, and he would come back down to Judea for the next feast. Um, But verse 4, and uh, by the way, we see that not in this passage, but in the other gospels. We see that this is the time when John the Baptist was imprisoned. In verse 4 is the really interesting part where he says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, He did not need to go through Samaria for any logistical reason. So we want to really focus in on why did Jesus need to go through Samaria, not just want to, need to. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here because it will help you understand uh, John chapter four. He needed to go through Samaria because the father was seeking worshipers and there were some in Samaria. All right, I want you to keep that in mind because that really is the theme of this whole chapter. Um, It is, I mean, uh, this chapter is used a lot uh, in the context of evangelism and things like that. But really, this is the theme, that the Father is seeking worshipers. And so Jesus needs to go through Samaria to make contact with some of these worshipers. Now, let's understand why this was not a need and why this was a huge, big radical deal, uh, what was going on here. And if we could, do we have that map? Okay, so here's a map. Um, You have (coughs) Judea in the south. You have Galilee in the north, where Jesus is headed. He's going to end up in Capernaum. And you have in between Samaria and Sychar there, however you say that, is the city that Jesus is going to end up with the Samaritan woman. So you can see um, probably... Jesus was over closer to the Jordan River there on the right side of the map, but we don't know for sure. We just know he was in the area of Judea. His disciples were baptizing. So here's the thing. There's a direct route from Jerusalem straight up through Samaria that Jews hardly ever took because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They would actually go out of their way to go around, take a longer route. And uh, the most common route would have been down along the Jordan, and it might even have been shorter if Jesus was near the Jordan anyway. So they'd they'd go down along the Jordan specifically to go around Samaria because good Jewish boys just didn't go to Samaria. Okay? Now, so that right there, just the fact that Jesus needs to go to Samaria is a a big uh, weird red flag for his disciples. They're trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. Um, Let me... Explain to you why they avoided this area. Let me get, go through a little bit of the history, because uh, what they're going to do, uh, they're going to go right here to Sychar or wherever that is, instead of going up the Jordan and going around all that to get to Capernaum. <clears throat> now, uh, this region of Samaria has a lot of, <coughs> pardon me, a lot of biblical history. Abram, when he first came into uh, what. We now know as the promised land, but then God just told him, get out of your land, go to another country. It was here in the area of Samaria that God first appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you all the land you can see, and he built an altar. Uh, So you can read about that in Genesis 12. It's the first time God appeared to Abraham in this area. When Jacob went, remember where Jacob went, uh, fled from Esau, went over to stay with Uncle Laban. Uh, got a couple wives, a lot of sheep, and a lot of kids came back. When he came back, he settled in this region. We're going to see a reference to Jacob's well later. So Jacob had settled in this region. But here's the biggest reason that there are issues between the Samaritans and the Jews. And they are these. You remember, Israel was taken into captivity, right? By Babylon. Well, when a nation would be taken into captivity. Uh, one of the things they would often do is relocate. Uh, they took away, that's how Daniel and the uh, three Jewish young men ended up in Babylon. They would take away uh, people from there. They'd replace them with people from another region. They would tried to break down loyalty. And so um, there were people relocated to this area. Now, for the most part, the Jews uh, were not, Uh, allowed, of course, to intermarry. They got in trouble with that uh, early on, with the whole thing with Balaam and the donkey and all that. And so uh, they're not supposed to intermarry, but what has happened is during this period of captivity, this region, Samaria, has intermarried. And so they are literally half-breeds. And so to a good, pure Jewish boy and girl, a Samaritan is a half-breed. So it's a racial issue, all right? Now, beyond that, about the time uh, Alexander the Great was coming through, and that's an interesting story. Actually, uh, when he came to Jerusalem, actually got the book of Daniel out and showed him himself in the book of Daniel. And it it caused him to kind of be nice to Jerusalem. Uh, But uh, during that time, (coughs) desiring uh, a place to worship and being outcasts like the Samaritans were... They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. So not only are they half-breeds, they've built their own temple to God, right? Now, to make matters worse, going the other way, uh, about 100 B.C., or a little bit over that, probably somewhere in the ballpark of 130 to 150 years, before this conversation is going on right now with Jesus and the woman at the well... uh, Israel, led by a Jewish priest, came up, sacked Samaria, and destroyed their temple on Mount Gerizim. So you can understand why there might be some animosity, right? And so this is their history, and they don't get along. And Jesus is going, we're going to go through Samaria. We have to go through Samaria. Now, that right there has to uh, just flip his disciples out a little bit understand? Because they're very excited. They've just found the Jewish Messiah. And the first thing, not the first thing, but one of the first things he wants to do is go to Samaria, not around Samaria, to it. Now, as I began to think about this and how radical this is, what he wants to do, uh, this thought occurred to me. In Matthew 15, there's a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, so she's a Gentile woman, and she wants her daughter to be healed. You remember the story. And Jesus says, uh, it's not good for me to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. And, he, and she says, yes, but even the little dogs get the crumbs. And he's so impressed with her faith that he heals her daughter. Now, I think he was setting her up. Uh, you know, he knew what was going on. But he makes this statement, and Jesus doesn't lie. He makes a statement to her. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So here's my question. Why is the Messiah, who was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, actively seeking out a bunch of half-breeds? Think about that. And this is early on in his ministry. And he's making a point to go to a town full of half-breeds that Jews don't even associate with. Now, yes, there's the acceptance statement. There's the racial statement. But he could have done that with anything, with any area. He could have gone to, you know, Tyre and Sidon and and found Gentiles there. But he goes to Samaria and says, I have to go here. And so, as I thought about that, uh, I noticed that in verse 12, it's very clear that the woman at the well identifies with the Jewish forefathers, specifically Jacob. And I thought about us and how we treat mixture sometimes, and sometimes we're purists. I can literally go online right now and find websites of pastors dedicated to telling us why other pastors aren't really saved. Right? Not hard to find them, is it? And that's, someone's decided that's a valid use of their time in ministry, is to just point out other pastors who, who name the name of Jesus, but aren't really saved. And maybe we do that in small ways. Maybe we look differently at people that aren't like us, or the people that don't worship the way do, we do, and, and wonder, are they even really saved? And I, and I wonder how God looks at it, because it's possible God just looks down and sees kids. These are my kids, these aren't my kids, right and so this to me was a kind of a half empty half full thing in, in a <coughs> pardon me in a time where it's really easy for us to see mixture and and separate and I 'm not saying we accept mixture or compromise we don't we continue to go back to the word but I think Jesus is looking at the Samaritans and he goes, Israel enough for me because he is only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So for him to have gone to Samaria, he has to be considering them the lost sheep of Israel. Right? So he's going, there's enough Israel there. They're believing on, for the Messiah. That's clear later. They're identifying with the forefathers, Jacob, I'm going to call that Israel. I'm going to go to them and preach the gospel. And so it challenged me a little bit just that uh, I think Jesus is willing to call people sometimes sons and daughters that uh, we aren't always. And we should be careful about who we write off. Now, it's very clear what makes someone a son or daughter. It's faith in Jesus alone. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about just because they say the name and, do, and they can do anything, I'm saying where we get picky when people don't do things are the way we do things, and we begin to question whether they know Jesus, and they're questioning whether we know Jesus, right? And so I love that Jesus goes and he identifies with these Samaritans. Now, the other thing, the other reason I think he went is because... As we're going to see, and this is what I really want you to catch out of this passage, is a humble desire to worship. Now, in verse 22, we're going to see that they were even worshiping out of ignorance. They didn't fully understand their worship. You ever know anyone who perhaps genuinely loved God, but worshiped out of ignorance? Any of us ever done that? But... They genuinely wanted to worship. Now, compare that with a lot of the religious leaders of the day that were confronting Jesus and had no intention of worshiping him, right? So we've got to be careful. What this picture is going to paint is a group of people who are hungry for connection to worship God and surrounded by a group of religious people who God in their midst are missing him. And so, there may be some contemporary application for us in that. Makes sense that we can and miss sometimes, if we get too caught up in uh, in the forms. Well, we'll get to that. Let's go on. Let's read more. <clears throat> so, this is where we're going. He needs to go to Samaria because he's got an appointment with a woman, which again is radical. Um, So, let's read verses 5 through 18. It says, So we came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, famous place. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that would be about noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, by the way, noon wasn't typically the time you go to draw water. Uh, They usually go in the cool of the day, in the morning, or in the evening. And uh, it's just Jesus and her. There's maybe a reason she's alone. Maybe she's a little bit of an outcast. Uh, Don't want to speculate too much, but this is a little odd. Anyway, it's Jesus and just this woman. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, I love this. Uh, Have you ever noticed, you ought to do a study sometime, just going through the Gospels on the disciples and food. (laughs) Seriously. You know. uh, Hey, feed the people. Uh, Or no, Jesus, they go, hey, you need to send these people away because uh, we don't have enough to feed them. Jesus is what we have. And one of the disciples already knows. There's a little boy, I've already done inventory. He has five fish and two loaves of bread. I know where lunch is, right? You know, he talks to them about leaven, and they don't get it. It's because we didn't bring bread. So they're, And I love here, they all go to get lunch and leave Jesus by himself at the well. I don't, know how, I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know if, you know, John's going, hey, look, I don't trust Peter to get my order right. And Andrew's going, I got to see the food court. I'm not sure what my options are. But they all go to get lunch and leave Jesus by himself. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. Maybe Jesus sent them off because he he knew they couldn't probably handle this confrontation that was getting ready to come up. Uh, They weren't quite ready for sitting down with what Jesus was getting ready to say to a Samaritan woman. Anyway, uh, let's keep reading. Um, Then the woman of Samaria (coughs) said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, don't underestimate that. That's, they like really have no dealings with Samaritans. Hugely bad, right? And uh, rabbis don't sit at wells in the afternoon with single women by themselves. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I love how uh, Jesus just takes, he kind of did the same thing in John 3 when we were looking at Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he just starts talking about something else, and Nicodemus is going, why are we talking about being born? He does the same thing here. Jesus, you got to pay attention when Jesus just starts talking about something you're not talking about. And so... Uh, he goes off to talk about, starts talking about living water. Now, understand when he's talking about living water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? You guys understand that. So the woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So again, there's her identity in Jacob. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will come in him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, you also got to pay attention because there are times when you think you're talking to Jesus about something in the natural, like you're standing in a well and you're talking about water and you think you mean that water. And he's gone all spirit realm. And if you're careful, you'll miss it. He's not talking about natural water anymore, is he? All right, so let's keep that in mind. And so the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you well said, I have no husband. for You've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. And she's pretty impressed with that. Wouldn't you be? Okay, and that tells us a little bit about her. You think maybe she had some issues, five husbands, and this guy, she's not even going to marry him. Maybe there's some issues involved. I don't know, but it seems a reasonable speculation. Now, I want to actually keep this really simple because I'm afraid if we get into too much, we'll miss the main point, point. and the main point is this. Jesus gently approaches a woman with issues to offer her living water. That's it. That's the main point. You've got to understand how radical that is. Jesus finds a woman with issues, a Samaritan woman with issues, and he offers her living water. He offers her the Holy Spirit. Now, here's an idea for you to get uh, some sense of how radical it is. I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting around with his disciples back in Judea. And he says, and they go, what are we doing next? And he says, well, here's what we're going to do. These are guys who've been doing the sacrifices, doing all the forms of worship, going to the temple three times a year, all that stuff. Jesus goes, i tell you what, I think we're going to go to Samaria, find a woman, and offer her the Holy Spirit. That would have blown their minds. They didn't even get that we were being offered the Holy Spirit. That was still blowing their minds. And Jesus does this. Guys, I'm telling you, this is radical. This is new. This is crazy that he's going, here's a woman with issues, and I'm just going to offer her living water. I'm going to offer her the Holy Spirit. It's very clear in verse 10. He's offering her the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you also to understand that this theme keeps coming up. In John chapter 1, remember we saw Jesus uh, being baptized and John the Baptist said, God told me the one I see the Spirit of God come on, he's the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in John 1, he's identified as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Nicodemus comes and he says, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. If you're not born of the Spirit, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 4, here he is again with a Samaritan woman going, Hey, how would you like the Holy Spirit? It's all about his Spirit. And you're going to continue to see this as we go through the Gospel of John. You're going to see this again and again and again. It's all about his Spirit. So I really want us to get what's being offered here because there are some Significant uh, revelations for us if we do. So, what I also want us to see is he's not offering her solutions to her issues, even though it's clear he's aware of her issues, isn't it? Don't we do that sometimes? Uh, Come to church and I'll, uh, you know, we can help you with that marriage issue you have or with this issue you have or whatever. It's almost like Jesus is going, look, I'm going to look over, I'm going to overlook the issues. I'm just going to give you new life. How would you just like to have the Holy Spirit living in you? How would you like to have a fountain of living water inside you? Amen. Is it dawning on you how significant that is? Most of us, I am betting most of the disciples, we get bogged down in the issues. What's he doing talking to this woman? This is a Samaritan woman, and it's a single Samaritan woman. She's had five husbands. And we should talk about these issues. And God goes, no, let's just give her the Holy Spirit. I wonder if that will help her issues. What do you think? I think there's something here. So he offers her new life. And in verse 14, again, we've got to see how radical this is. He's saying, I want to give you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Hey, Samaritan woman, how would you like the Holy Spirit, the fountain of living water? We just, last week we looked in Jeremiah 17, 13, one of the titles of the Messiah was, uh, was the fountain of living water, right? Hey, Samaritan woman, how would you like living water inside you, a well inside you? How would you like the, the Messiah to come and live in you? Now, she didn't fully understand that. The disciples didn't fully understand that. But that's what he's offering. It is radical. And so, what we see here is that Jesus is offering her spiritual drink. He's no longer talking about water. And he's no longer talking about natural needs. Because he goes on to say, this water, if you drink it, you'll thirst again. But I'm offering you water that will satisfy that desire in you that you'll never thirst again. Have you guys had that spiritual desire? I'm missing something. I just need some connection with God. And then he satisfies it and you go, oh, this is sustaining. I'm not thirsty anymore. And I'll never be thirsty again. That's what he's talking about, right? We got to get what a big deal it is That he is offering his spirit, fountains of living water, spiritual drink to live in us. Because this is the solution to every issue we're ever going to have. It's the only thing we need. I mean, do you, you know, do we need a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of counsel, whatever? Sure. But at the end of the day, the spirit of God in you is all you need. The spirit of God in you is all you need. It is. Uh, going to be the continued theme of John, by the way. In fact, later on in John, he's going to tell us having the Spirit of God in you is better even than having Jesus with you, right? We're going to keep seeing this. We're going to see some of this spiritual language in John chapter 6. It's just going to keep coming up. I'm trying to really keep this focus on the Spirit of God because that's what Jesus was doing here. He's just simply offering a woman with issues His Holy Spirit, so that she could not thirst anymore, so that she could be satisfied. Now, speaking of her thirst, let's look at verse 19 through 20. Here, she's going to reveal what her spiritual thirst is, her heart's desire, which is, in fact, the very thing God's looking for. She perceives that he's a prophet, and what's the first thing she wants to talk about? Verse 19 woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. She goes, hey, I get it. You're a prophet. Can you tell me about worship? Because I have a thirst for a connection with God. And Mount Gerizim isn't quite doing it. And Jerusalem, I can't even go there because I'm a Samaritan. And I'm not, I'm thirsting. Can you tell me about worship? He's already scratching her itch before she even voiced it, isn't he? She desires worship. Remember what he came to Samaritan for? He came here because the Father's looking for worshipers. And she wants to be a worshiper. I just want connection with God. I'm thirsty for connection with God. He goes, look, you know, drinking from this well, you're going to be thirsty again tomorrow in the natural. But spiritually, if you'll believe in me, I'll put a well of living water in you and I'll satisfy that thirst once and for all forever. Isn't that awesome? And so she's interested. She says, I want a connection to God in worship. I need to know where to worship God because I don't feel like I'm connecting, right? Maybe you know somebody like that. I don't know where to go to church. I just don't feel like I'm connecting to God. I come to church, and I don't feel like I'm connecting to God. Has there ever met anyone like that? You could probably help them. You know what Jesus would say to him? You want the Holy Spirit? That's what he said here. Now, let's look at verses 21 through 24. He's introducing a radical change, an entirely new paradigm. Verses 21 through 24. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He said, It's not going to matter anymore. The hour is coming, it's not going to matter anymore which church you go to. He says, You worship what you do not know. There's that, how she was even worshiping in ignorance. She didn't even know, she just knew. God was there, and she wanted a connection. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. In other words, everything's changing, woman. Everything's changing. It just changed. It's coming and it now is. The whole paradigm is shifting. To what? The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and truth. Again, because we're familiar, it's easy for us to miss how radical a change this is. This is a people who've spent hundreds of years offering animal sacrifices, saying the right prayers, reading the s- certain Psalms at certain feasts, going to the temple at certain feasts keeping the forms, and he's saying that this is a new paradigm. And the new paradigm, the radical change is this. It is no longer about the physical forms. Catch that. It is no longer about the physical forms of worship. It's about a connection in the spirit realm. God is spirit, and I'm making a way for you to connect with him, not just in the earth, but in the spirit realm. Did you catch that? Do you do that? Or have we gotten satisfied with just having church in the natural realm? Right? I want you to think about it. So he says it's not about place or form anymore. And a lot of people, I think, still can worship God in ignorance with a genuine heart and think it's about place or form or which songs we sing or whether the white right worship leader. It's not even about worship here just on Sunday morning. It's about worship in your home. It's about uh, singing or reading your Bible or praying or all those things. And uh, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the forms of worship. And God's saying it's not about that. The time's changed because what Jesus has done is make a way for us have His Spirit, and the Father is Spirit. And He's going, I'm going to move worship from the earthly realm to the heavenly realm. You're supposed to engage heaven. You're supposed to engage the Spirit of God in worship. Isn't that wild? And even today, how many of us really get that? That we've been given this access to the Father who is Spirit. And so he says, it's not about form anymore. It's about spirit and truth, not ignorance, deep, intimate knowledge. Now, let me talk about this for a minute. Uh, and I think we need to ponder this. I think, I think this is the sort of thing you need to spend the next couple of weeks meditating on. I did. I sat there and just I go, God, am I worshiping you in spirit and in truth? What does it mean to worship you in spirit and in truth? And I'll just give you my thoughts. We probably could talk about this for days. You may have thoughts. But I think it's this. I think worshiping him in spirit means born-again believers engaging him spirit to spirit. It's not just saying the songs. It's not just being here. Well, We, we worshiped. We told him we loved him. That we're engaging. We're entering into the spirit realm in some way. We're interacting with him. When Chris Reed was here, he talked about uh, tuning into the spirit realm, tuning into his realm, engaging our spiritual senses. We have natural senses and we have spiritual senses. Do we come to church on Sunday morning going, I want to worship in spirit? I want to engage my spiritual senses and see if I can interact with God in the spirit realm and not just in the natural realm? Do we do that? Is that available? It was available to this half-breed Samaritan woman who was worshiping on Mount Gerizim in ignorance. Jesus said, hey, I see that you want to worship. I'd like to enable you to worship in spirit and truth. Here, you want my Holy Spirit. Getting this? All right. So, tuning in <coughs> pardon me, to his realm engaging our spiritual senses. I think it's much more than just being in a worship service or just having a quiet time at home. I think it's with the intent of, God, I'm going I'm to enter in as best I can in the spirit realm and have a connection with you. And then when we get there, we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth, which speaks to me of deep heart revelation. Jesus is going to share his heart with us He's going to share our heart with us. He'll show you things about you you don't know about you. And and you'll begin to see how he looks at you and how much he loves you. It'll change you. It'll start to deal with your issues. Without even trying. I love Psalm 51. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. If we engage God like this, if we begin to go, I'm going to worship him in spirit and truth. i want to connect in the spirit realm, and I'm going to get his heart, and I'm going to get his heart for me, and I'm going to get his heart for others, I'm going to get his heart for the things going on around me. This will begin to happen. We'll begin to know wisdom in our inward parts. We'll begin to be a lot smarter than we started out, right? This is way beyond just singing the right songs on Sunday morning, isn't it? And so, for many of us, we've only scratched the surface of worshiping in spirit and truth. And it's all available to us, isn't it? The spirit, a fountain of living water inside us. And so I want to encourage you that because it is transformational. This place of worship in spirit and truth is transformational. Not just a place of worship. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily that just singing the songs and going through the motions... Transform you, but I'm saying if you do this, if you get to where you're connecting to God in the spirit realm and truth is being exchanged on a heart level, it will transform you. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth, right? There's one other place where Paul uses the same phrase in Second Corinthians 3. He says, God is spirit, where the Lord is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you are experiencing freedom in the earthly realm, maybe you should try connecting in the spiritual realm. Freedom already exists there. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then he goes on, he says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. That as we engage the one who is spirit and worship him in spirit and in truth, as we behold him, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, that it begins to transform us. That's why Jesus skipped past our issues and said, hey, you want the Holy Spirit? Because he'll get to all your issues. That's the starting point. Right? This is what we have. Uh, it's important that we don't overlook what an incredible opportunity we've been given to worship God in spirit and truth, to engage him in the realm of the spirit, not just in the natural, and to interact with him in that way, to see him, to, uh, uh, to sense his heart, to be transformed by something supernatural in our spirit man it begins to leak into natural life. Does this make sense? You want that? Okay, good. Well, let's, uh, let's see if we can finish up. So this is her response in verse 25 and 26. Um, well, her response and his response. And, uh, and it's one of my favorite parts. I'll tell you why. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ, so she's living in faith for the coming Messiah, right? When he comes, he will tell us all things. And here's what I love about this. All through the New Testament, every time we see the Jews uh, talking about the Messiah, you see things like, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? the Messiah comes who will restore the kingdom to Israel. It was all about the kingdom being restored to Israel. What did she say? I know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us stuff. He'll teach us how to worship. I love her attitude. She's not worried about the kingdom being restored. She's just worried about, I want to know. I want to know God. I want to know how to know God more. I want to know how to worship. I want to know where to worship. I want connection. And the reason this is significant is because Verse 26 is amazing. All through the New Testament, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and sometimes the apostles kind of try and pin Jesus down, and he would never give them a straight answer about him being the Messiah. Kind of, um, the straightest answer you got was at the end, before his crucifixion, when the high priest asked him, and he said, it is as you say. And, Hereafter, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And that was enough. And he tore his robes and said, crucify him. Never does Jesus just go, hey, I'm the Messiah, except right here to a Samaritan woman who just wants to worship him. And he goes, I who speak to you am he. I'm telling you, Jesus will reveal himself to people who just want to worship him. And he will reveal himself clearly to people who just want to worship him. So, maybe you're one of those people who said, you know, I don't feel God or I haven't interacted with him in that way. I just want to encourage you. Explore. Talk with God about What does it mean to worship you in spirit and truth? and Keep at it. Just keep at it. I guarantee you, he will encounter you. If you pursue worshiping him in spirit and truth, God, I just want to connect with you on the spirit level, on a heart level. I want to know your heart. I want to hear your voice. I'm going to worship you. I'm just going to worship you and pursue intimacy with you. I don't know how long it will take, but I know God loves to reveal himself to worshipers. He went out of his way to go to the Samaritan woman because the Father is looking for worshipers. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Well, let's see what happened. (coughs) I'm actually not going to read 27 through 42. You can read it later. I'm just going to summarize. So what I thought was interesting is the woman uh, believes and she goes and tells everybody in town and they believe first because of what she tells them. And then Jesus spends a couple days there and they hear Jesus and they believe. A bunch of them believe. Now, note this Jesus has been healing the sick in Judea. He's going to go heal the sick in Galilee. We don't have any recording of any miracles here. They just believe. The Jews keep going, What sign will you show us that we may know that you're the Messiah? The worshipers go, Oh, you're the dude. I'm there. See the hearts? Just humble hearts to worship. Got to be careful that uh, we don't get so caught up in religious duty and uh, all that, that we lose that first love heart. I just want connection with God. I just want to be a worshiper. Father's looking for worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now The disciples come back and they're confused. First of all, they are confused that he's talking to a woman. It concerns them, but they aren't going to say anything because every time they do, they end up looking stupid. So they've learned, it's just, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to say anything. And they're, they're confused over lunch. And so they go, you know, do you, do you want something to eat? We, we hit the food court. And Jesus goes, I have food you don't know anything about. And again, He's not talking in the natural anymore, is he? You've got to recognize when Jesus starts talking about the spirit realm. And they're confused, and they go, did someone bring a lunch? No one's around here. I don't see any wrappers. What's going on? And he starts talking about the harvest. And he goes, no, you don't understand. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He goes, hey, guys, look around. There's a ripe harvest here. He goes, there's worshipers here. And you can't see it because you, maybe you're hung up in the natural. But there's, there's worshipers here. There's a harvest here, and it makes me wonder, uh, is there more of a harvest around us than we realize? And so, I have two takeaways uh, from this passage that I'm trying to apply, and uh, they're in your notes. The first one is this, that we have to learn connection to God in spirit and truth that we have to learn to be worshipers in spirit and truth. I think if we do it, it'll show. And again, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about when we're at home. I think if we'll become a people who worship God in spirit and truth, it'll show. I think we'll be transformed. I think people will notice the change in our lives. And uh, then I think we'll find there are people around us that want a connection with God more than we realize. And sometimes they look off. Sometimes they look like the Samaritan woman. But it turns out, they're just ignorant. And they really do want a connection with God. And so, I don't want to be distracted by the harvest's ignorance or issues. You know, everybody you meet is gonna have some level of ignorance or issues. And I don't want to let that distract me. And I don't want to get caught up in trying to fix their ignorance or their issues. I kind of want to do what Jesus did. Just offer them connection to God. Hey, do you know that if you believe in Jesus, you could have living water? Do you know that if you believe in Jesus, he'll put his Holy Spirit inside you? And if you start to worship him, he'll change everything in your life? How's that work? I don't know. Just try it. Come to church. We'll do it. Right? And I think this is the message. Now again, you know, let's cure ignorance where we can. uh, Help people understand you know, what the cross means and all that. But at the end of the day, this is the message that Jesus came with. It's the message of Nicodemus. It's the message to the woman at the well. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Come to me. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Come to me. I'll give you uh, wells of living water. In John 7, he's going to say, come to me. I'll give you rivers of living water. He's just going to keep talking about you getting his spirit. Amen? Amen. Now we, hopefully, have his spirit, don't we? Are we all in? Are we really going, God, I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. I'm going to not get just caught in forms. Um, I got, I'm going to learn to interact with you to exercise my spiritual senses. Amen? Yeah. All right. Well, if I invite the band back up, we can, <coughs> we can practice for another 20 or 30 minutes or so. Are you up for that? Yeah. Now, I want you to have liberty... Uh, You know, come up front if you want, kneel, stand, sit, wander around, whatever. Uh, We're not here about forms. Uh, You're here to connect with God. And what you're hoping this morning is that you aren't just going to get something from Tony uh, sharing stuff out of the Bible. You're going to get something from the Spirit of God. You're going to connect with God himself in the spirit realm and interact with him and have a heart interaction. Amen? Amen. That's between you and God.